Well, good morning. Everyone doing okay? You all right? Uh, it is such a good, good morning whenever you can begin with believer's baptism. And I walked back to, uh, walked out of the pool, walked in to change, and I said, that's why we do what we do. Amen? See, life changed like that. So, Josh, congratulations. If you're out here somewhere, congratulations. And we're grateful for you. I'm going to have David Yvette come on up and read our scripture this morning. This is David. He is married to Shelley. They have two kids who are 12 years old and 8 years old. And so every time we come to the reading and the teaching of the Word of God throughout this sermon series, um, my heart and hope is to bring to you one of you to come and read to you because here's why the word of God is just not for the pastor and it's just not for the pastor to deliver to you it is for you to engage with on your own and so you're doing it so well amazing we're through week four in our reading plan start week five tomorrow going through the life of Joseph this week um, but today, Genesis chapter 32. Go ahead and find your place uh, in your Bible. There's one in the pew rack right in front of you, maybe your digital device. Genesis chapter 32. David's going to read from us uh, for us in verses 22 to 32 as we look at this character named Joseph, Jacob that we've been reading about throughout the past week. And as, as I said, David and his family, wonderful family here. And uh, David leads a team to Alaska. You've gone how many times, David? Four times to Alaska. And if you're, if you're interested in going to Alaska, this is your guy. He kind of looks like Alaska, doesn't he? <laughs> He's got the look. When you see David, you think Alaska. So um, anyway, he loves the mission there, but he loves the gospel. I love this guy. I love his family. He loves you all. And so it's a privilege to allow David to come and read Genesis 22, or 32, beginning in verse 22. Will you please stand out of respect and reverence for the word of God this morning? David, thank you, brother. All right, let's read. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children across the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place, the name of the place, Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the teaching and the reading of his word this morning. So tonight... You might be one of the 110 to 115 million people who will watch the end of the professional football season. You think you'll be there in front of your TV? And um, there's a lot of people watching, but professional wrestling doesn't quite have as many viewers. Now, I know some of you are professional wrestling fans because I've talked with you, but they don't have quite as quite a following like the Super Bowl will this evening. And um, I know you have a following because I've talked with you, but also my grandfather, 
uh, when he was living, he loved professional wrestling. So when I would go to Eastern North Carolina and hang out with my grandparents, we would eat dinner, wrap it up about 5 or 5.30 like grandparents do, right? And then we would get settled in and, and the TV would come on and we'd, do, we'd watch one of three things, all right? Uh, one was Andy Griffith reruns. Anyone like Andy Griffith? Greatest show of all time. The other was the Atlanta Braves on TBS. He loved the Atlanta Braves. And the third was professional wrestling. So that's when I was introduced to it. Now, back then, um, the professional wrestlers really, um, while they were strong, they were big, they were really showmen. <laughs> they were individual showmen. That's, what, that's why they're on TV. Guys like Andre the Giant, remember him? Guys like Ric Flair. He, he's, yeah, there you go. I knew someone would do it. I knew someone would do it. All right, Ric Flair. Um, my favorite was the guy that would stand. He would climb up to the top of the rope, and he'd get on top of that thing, and he would jump, right? He would jump. His name was Jimmy the Superfly Snooker. You remember him? I mean, these guys were showmen, but they were individuals. They hauled the spotlight. It was all about them. So if we were to go down to Eastside High School or Riverside High School right now, walk into the wrestling coach's office and say, is that true wrestling? I'm not quite sure what they would say. But I'd say, teach us about true wrestling, <laughs> authentic wrestling. And they would say, well, it's made up of a couple of things. Here, here's, what, here's what you want to do to your opponent. You want to be superior in your strength, of course, in your endurance, in your mental toughness. You, you want to be strong in all of those areas, and you can defeat your opponent. And so we come today to a text in which there is literally, literally a wrestling match. And it's not just a few minutes. It's just not a round or two. It goes on for a while, as David read to us. And in this wrestling match, here is what God aims to do to this guy named Jacob. God wants to take away the individualism. God is ready to move into this guy's life and into his heart and remove any sense of self-determination, self-sufficiency. This is all about me, the, the plans and the future and my family. And I'm going to begin to make my way through life. And God's going to put a halt to this because he's going to come and he's going to wrestle with Jacob. And here's what happens on the other side. Jacob wins, as you just heard, but winning is not the same as winning a wrestling match. It's not to the stronger, it's to the one who yields and submits his will to the will of the one wrestling him. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. First of all, here, here's what you need to understand about the context before we just dive into these verses. Here's the context. We've been reading over the last week about this guy named Jacob. Really, over the last week and a half or so, and Jacob is the one who, who um, had a twin named Esau, and he deceived his brother Esau and stole his birthright. It's this sense of, of blessing. It's this sense of, of being recognized for, for the future. And, and then he deceives his father with his mama's help. Mama had a lot to do with it. But he deceived his father to receive his father's blessing. So he deceives for the birthright. He deceives for the blessing. And then Esau is so upset with him. He threatens to kill him. He is so 
angry. And Isaac and Rebekah look at Jacob and said, you need to get out of here. You need to run. He's going to kill you. But I want you to go up to our old country where we came from, up to my, uh, my brother, Rebecca says, my brother Laban, your uncle, go up there and maybe he can help you find a wife and you can, you can start to work there. And sure enough, as he goes up there, God visits him before he gets there. Now, this is important. Here's what you need to understand. He's leaving the land of promise The land God promised to Abraham and Isaac. He's going out, and on the way out, God reminds him of something at Bethel. You and I read it together. Ladder, angels up and down the ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, right? All right, the Lord's at the top, and the Lord says to him, you're the one. Even though you stole the birthright, even though you stole the blessing, I'm saying you're the one. He remembers that. Bethel's a significant place. So he keeps going. So he's out of the land. He goes up to Laban. And there, what a fiasco there with Uncle Laban. I mean, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Reality TV has nothing on this family. This is crazy. The end of the day, after 20 years, he comes out of Laban's house, out of the area there. God comes to him and he says, uh, Jacob, it's time to go. It's time to go back to the country. And after 20 years, he's got four wives, he's got 11 sons, he's got I don't know how many daughters, he's got livestock, he's wealthy, but he's got the scars to go with it. He runs from Laban. Laban catches up to him. Laban's angry with him. He feels he's been deceived. He wanted to see his daughters. He wanted to see his grandchildren. He feels he's deceived and there's this conflict, but they reconcile and Jacob's like, okay, I can, I can go back. And now he's moving closer and closer towards the promised land. So when David stood up to read, here's where we are. He is now at this crossroads. He's at this little tributary, this river called Jabbok, and he, this river runs into the Jordan River. So he's about to cross back over into the promised land. So at Bethel, angels saying, you're the one. You're good. When you come back here, God's going to establish you. He goes away. Now he's coming back in. This is significant. And he suddenly realizes something. If I cross over this particular area, this region, to go back into the promised land, to go see my daddy who's dying, to begin a new chapter and season of my life, here my brother is on the other side somewhere, and he's... He's going to kill me. And then he gets word, chapter 32, he gets word that Esau not only is going to come out and meet him, trouble, but he's got 400 men with him, double trouble. He's going to kill me. He's going to wipe me out. So he begins to plan and pray. He begins to plot out this strategy. All right, so I'm going to divide up my family, I'm going to divide up um, my, my wives, my children. I'm going to put my, all my livestock in two different camps, and I'm going to send them on ahead. <laughs> I'm going to send, how, how would you like to be the one in the first camp? What would that say about you? I'm going to send you on ahead. And if Esau wipes you out, I've got a family, I've got livestock. Wow, he's plotting, he's planning. This is his character, scheming, strategizing, always thinking ahead, always looking towards the future. How do I figure this thing out? And so he sends them on ahead, and he sends both groups ahead, and then the Scripture says he's alone. He's alone. And this is where God's going to come, 
And God is going to do something in his life. But here's thought number one this morning, even in the lead up up to this point, because I think it's very important from Genesis 32 to understand the full context. All right. If you're taking notes in your journal, number one, Jacob, I'm sorry, we are tempted to rely on our own strategies and act, then wait and wrestle with the promise of God. We are tempted. Here's what we do. Here's what Jacob's done up to this point. This is what sets up the wrestling match. We are tempted to rely on our own strategies, and I put in parentheses, our own strength and act, then wrestle with the presence of God, waiting for him, listening to him, longing to know what he wants and what he says. I mean, we're Americans. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We, we, We have to plan. We have to look ahead. We have to plan our finances out. We have to plan our families out. We have to plan out what's going on. Students, you have to plan out your career. If you're a freshman, you got to look ahead to your sophomore, junior. If you're a sophomore, you got to look ahead to your junior and senior. You got you got my daughter just came home with her with their PASATs. We got to think about college, always looking ahead. We got to figure all that out. Whatever it is, we're American. This is what we do. We always are planning. We are always strategizing. We are always thinking we're looking ahead. This is exactly what Jacob does. And God comes to him and he says, listen, Jacob, I've got work to do in you. Because here's how you've acted your whole life. You're self-determined. You you are self-sufficient. You figured your way out. You've schemed and weaseled your way out. You've made it work. You work hard. 20 years, you were with Laban. But you've always found a way. And now that you're entering into a new season, a new chapter, your daddy's going to die soon. You're going to a new place, a new land, a new city, new environment. Everything is going to be brand new. And it's the place that I'm calling you to. But before you go in there, before you put all these strategies in place and what you're doing with your families and sending, sending one camp and then another camp and he prays, which is good. He recognizes he's in desperate straits. Before you strategize and act, I'm going to wrestle with you because I am more concerned about what's in you than what you're doing for your future. I am more concerned about your spiritual, moral character than I am anything else, and I'm coming to wrestle with you. You're going into a new place. You have to be changed before you enter into a new place. Now, I don't know where some of you are this morning. I said that in the first service, and for those of you who are watching online as well, in this room, online, the other service, hundreds of people here. Here's the thing. Some of you are like Jacob right now. There is fear. Verse 7 of chapter 32. There's fear. There's distress. There's anxiety. I don't know what it's over. It could be over any number of things. But right now, you feel like Jacob does. You are fearful and anxious and worried, and you're plotting, and you're trying to strategize and work your way out. All the while, like Jacob, you are scared. I don't know what, what it is. Maybe something this week. Maybe something's built up over time. Maybe it's the long heartache of something that just has gripped you. And here's what I would say to every single one of you this morning, pastor included. When God steps into a place where you feel completely overwhelmed, the water's over your head. When you step into a place where, where anxiety and fear and distress grip you, don't strategize and double down on figuring your way out. Let go and look up. 
Because this is where God perhaps is saying to you, I'm coming to you to work something out inside of you. Might not unlock all of the circumstances, might not untangle all of the webs and all of the knots, might not do it right away, but here's what he's after. He's after your spiritual formation and your character. But instead, what we do, we plot and we move and we act. Even, hey, even in the church, even here's what we do. We put the label religion on there. We put, the, we put church on there. And we quickly act, we quickly move. This is what we do. This is the right thing to do. And instead, what God wants to do is come to you and encounter you and begin to change and shape you on the inside. Here's the second thing this morning, if you're taking notes. God's timing is perfect, and his methods have a purpose. His timing is perfect. He knows Jacob's alone, and his method is unique, but it has a purpose. And here's what I would say. In parentheses, you might want to add this, or maybe you want to underscore it. God's timing is perfect, and his methods have a purpose, and it's always for the long view. If you've read anything throughout our reading plan over the last few weeks, you see this pattern. You see this long view in mind. And when God steps in, and when God reaches down acts on behalf of his people. Yes, there's a sense uh, of immediacy and urgency. Jacob needed help then. No question about it. As we'll see this week, Joseph's going to need help. But God always has the ability to have this perfect timing and this perfect, perfect method where he both reaches into our lives right here where we are, but still keeping the long view in mind. He's still moving the story, his plan of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 boys. I mean, look at the chaos of this family. And here are the 12 tribes of Israel. Here they are. And throughout their sin and throughout how deceptive this family is, and despite all of the immorality and things, here is the grace of God that his timing and his methods come and act on us now, but he always is looking towards the long view. For some of you, like someone said after the first service, when I read about Jacob, he is nothing but a scoundrel. It reminds me that there is help for me. Amen? Don't think you're too far removed from God because he can reach you anywhere. <laughs> Don't think you're, you're out of his grasp. Don't think you're, you're out of touch with him. He knows, and he'll move in. He'll step in at the right time. And when he does, your response, submission, your response is repentance. This past week in my here journal, as we were reading through, through Joseph. I think it was the last passage that we read. Here was my response to God. It's a credible story of Joseph, and he's, he's put into slavery. He's sent away. They come to Daddy, and they show him, they show him the, uh, the garments ripped apart, blood on them. They deceive their Daddy like his daddy, their Daddy received, deceived his. A pattern of sin keeps going through families. And then there's this great word at the end of the chapter. And it says they came to his dad and he wept. Oh, he wept. But then it goes, meanwhile, meanwhile, the traitors had taken Joseph. He was alive and they moved him down. And I, and I wrote this. My response, practice looking beyond 
what I see today and what is visible and the immediate quit having my head down where all I see is what's right in front of me. God is at work, not only behind the curtain of today, but orchestrating all things behind his curtain for his glory. Trust him. Submit to him. This is what God is doing in the life of Jacob. Asking him to submit everything to him. So here comes the wrestling match, verses 22 through 24. A man comes up to Jacob and begins wrestling with him. How would you like that? You're alone. He's probably worried. He's probably anxious. This man just starts grabbing him, just starts wrestling. And you're like, what in the world is this? Is it Esau? Is it Esau's? Is it someone from Esau's camp who's coming over to spy out and wants to take me out? What is it? And so he begins wrestling with him, it says. And he wrestles until the break of dawn. This just isn't, you know, three minutes, take a commercial break. I mean, this is all night long. Five, six in the morning, day breaks, four, three, four, five, six hours. I don't know. He's just wrestling. He's just wrestling with him. And we know this, that Jacob is a strong guy. Physically, we know he's a strong guy because when he went over to um, find a wife and he sees Rachel there coming to a well 20 years earlier, takes several men to take out a stone. He comes up, he lifts the stone up, throws it down to impress the gal, right? We know he's physically strong. We know he's mentally tough. He's a good wrestler, physically strong, endurance. I mean, 20 years with Laban. Laban cheated this guy left and right, mentally tough. He's got the whole thing. Nothing's getting by this guy. He is the greatest wrestler out there. He's got the whole thing. And he wrestles with all of his might, all of his heart to hang on to God. But notice what happens in verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob... He pulled the ace card out, his power, and he just touched, just touched him on the hip. And Jacob's hip was put out his joint as he wrestled with him. He wounds him. And Jacob suddenly realizes this just isn't a man. I don't know when in the process, but he suddenly realizes this just isn't an ordinary man. This is a guy that has supernatural power. And as we see later in the text, this is God himself in human form wrestling and holding me. And he wounds him. And he hurts him in this match. And I think Jacob suddenly realizes there's no way that I'm going to be able to overcome a guy that can touch my hip and is out of joint. This guy can act when he wants to act and take me out. And that's when I think he realized this just isn't physical. This is spiritual. This is God coming to me to do business with me now his tactic is going to change. At least the motivation of his heart is going to change. Here's number three if you're taking notes. You ready? God's wounds are not meant to disable us, but move us into deeper trust. God's wounds, when God wounds you, you're wrestling with God. You're hanging on to God. You want something. Here's what God wants. God wants to purge you of, of your self-sufficiency. God wants to purge you of your, of your self-determination. He wants to get rid of that. This is what he's after. But sometimes God is going to wound you and it's going to hurt. He's going he's, he's to do something where you might not understand. It might not line up with what you envisioned, what you wanted for your future, what you wanted for the job, what you wanted for your spouse, what you wanted for your kid, what you wanted for your finances, whatever it is. It just doesn't line up. And God comes in and it 
hurts sometimes. But here's what I, I, I need you to understand this morning. All right? We've been through it. We've walked through this, some of you. We've walked through this. When God wounds you, he does not mean to disable you. He does not mean to, to, to put you on the shelf. He doesn't mean that, hey, you, you are someone who I can no longer use. What the disability says, and it speaks right to the heart of Jacob, you are no longer going to be self-sufficient. Instead, I want you to depend upon me. And every time that hip clicks, Every time that hip hurts, every time, I don't know if he walked with a limp the rest of his life, but every time it would get cold out and those bones would start to hurt, he would remember this one thing. I'm not self-sufficient. God is. God is almighty. God is sufficient for me to accomplish whatever he wants to do, and I trust him now. And sometimes there is no other way to humble us and shape us spiritually than when God wounds us. Sometimes there's pain involved. Sometimes it's just something we have to do. As Jacob enters into this new country, God God says, I want to reshape you. It's just like when a few years ago, I went on a mission trip and and the uh, guys in the mission office called down and they were like, hey, listen, you, you need to make sure you get your shots because this particular country, the sickness is going on and this is what they're requiring and you can't get in until you get your shots. I don't like shots. <laughs> I don't like needles, right? I grew up getting allergy shots when I was young, but it'd been a while. Okay, I'll do it. I'll go ahead before I go into the country. Hey, we're not going to let you in unless the, the, the health clinic says you have got your vaccinations. You have got your shots. Why? Because I want to be protected. I want to be ready. Go to a foreign country. You come back. You're sitting on the plane, no matter where it is. We'll come walking down the aisle. They'll hand you a little card, a little piece of paper. And what is it? It's from U.S. Customs. And they'll say, you are not allowed to enter back into this country with these particular items. It could be animals. It could be uh, drugs. It could be plants. It could be there. There's a a really unique list of things that you can't bring in. I just can't go over to the Middle East, grab a goat, bring it on the plane with me. It's just not going to be allowed. And this is what God is doing with Jacob before he goes back into this country, before the next season, before the next chapter, before the next step. You need to be ready. And you've got things you're carrying into this new land, and you need to let them go. You need to release them. There are things that are going to hurt you, but it is for your protection and for your good and for your realization that I am almighty. And before you step in there, Joseph, I'm going to wound you. Look Listen, look at the wounds of Jesus and the wounds that the Heavenly Father allows to come your way, not as something to despise, but something that leads you to run to him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Keep reading. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to me, what said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven, you have struggled, you have fought with God. That's what Israel literally means. God strives or striving with God. The new name that you have is no longer going to be Jacob, it's Israel. You've striven with God. Here, look, look at that last phrase and have prevailed. Absolutely amazing. 
Jacob, you have wrestled with God, and you have won. You, you won the wrestling match. You, you get the medal. And here, number four, ready? Thought number four. Pursue God with the tenacity with which you pursue much lesser things. Here's what Jacob does. He pursues God with incredible tenacity from this point forward. This is what I love about Jacob. That strength, here's what he understands. That strength that was for me to determine where I was going, the sufficient for me to make my way through life. Now suddenly that strength, I'm no longer dependent upon it. And somewhere in this wrestling match, he said, I'm going to pursue God with incredible tenacity. And it's not to get the blessing that I thought I really wanted with Esau and with Isaac. I thought that blessing would give me everything that would satisfy. The land, the resources, the children, the glory, all of those things where I considered them blessings. And that's what I wanted more than anything. But somehow in the wrestling match, Joseph or Jacob understands this, that no longer is the blessing what I want, but now the blessing is what you have designed for me and for years to come. The blessing that he hangs on to God for is no longer resources, children, greatness, whatever it is, for his own sake. It is now an understanding that, God, you will provide. And, God, now I have run from you, and I've been self-sufficient apart from you, but now you are everything. Now you're the one that I hang on to, and I'm not letting go until every ounce of me is out and every ounce of you is in. And when I began to understand this, that the tenacity that, jo- that Jacob wrestled God for was just not to be more spiritual, was, what, what was for me, j- just not wonderful things to happen here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Oh, I, I could go and hang on to God for that if I wanted to. And I, and, and I feel like I do that sometimes. God, I'm going to hang on to you with everything I got for, for something good to happen here, clench fists. Or my family, closest thing to me is my wife, my two kids. Sometimes I just want to hang on to God. God, would you just would you do something in them? Would you save it? Would you would you work? Would you, and just hanging on for everything. But that's not what Jacob does. Jacob is hanging on to God because whatever God chooses to do. With him, whatever God chooses to do with Taylor's First Baptist Church, whatever God chooses to do with my wife and my kids, whatever God chooses to do in my life and my ministry, it doesn't matter what I want. It's what he wants. And I'm going to hang on to him, not to get a blessing as I see it, but to get his direction and his provision and his hand upon me. And I'm going to hang on with all of of God. See the difference here? Man, I love this guy. From a scoundrel to someone who just says, I submit, and I'm not letting you go until you, you, you provide, until you lead, until you direct. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. You're in. What an incredible story. Now, here's the thing. What I love about these Old Testament stories, and we're done. Look at Jesus. Where's Jesus in this? There's this new Jacob that's coming one day. 
who would wrestle with God. And he would be in the garden, and he would be on his face, Garden of Gethsemane, and he's wrestling with them. And he's saying, there's no way. If there's, if there's any other way that this cup of, of your anger being poured out on sin and on the whole world, on your sin and my sin, if there's any other way that this cup can go by, please figure something out. I can figure something out. You can figure something out. And he wept and he cried and blood poured out the new Jacobs out of his head and he's just crying before God. But then he says what? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then, according to Isaiah the prophet, God wounds him. And he's killed and he gives up his life for you and for me. Out of sheer love for you. If you don't know him. Out of sheer love for you, he's given up his life so that you might one day encounter the grace and compassion and mercy and forgiveness of Almighty God. So that we as followers of Jesus, when we're in a situation that we're overwhelmed, we don't know where to turn, and God is wrestling with us, and God is wounding us, and we're about to give up, and we're about to say, it's not worth it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. We can look at the new Jacob in the garden on the cross who's given us access to the Father and say, your will be done. Your will be done. Is that, your, is that what God's calling you to today? Your will be done. That's what Jesus did. This is what we're called to do. Let's pray about that right now. Father, we love you. We love you with our hearts. We love you with our worship this morning. And I pray that we would love you with our obedience. Lord, this morning you are asking one or two or a handful or a few people in this room watching online who will watch one day online. You're going to ask them before they take this next step into this next chapter, this next season, You're asking them to meet you right now and you're going to wrestle with them for a little bit. You're going to put your thumb on their heart and you're going to say, submit, this is what I'm asking you to give up. And I pray right now, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way where you would grow believers into a place where they would say, yes, Father, not my will, but yours be done. and the tight grip on the things that we hold dear would be released and instead our grip would be on you and we would cling to you for every provision and for every need and for every plan that we think we have to write. Lord, would you do your work in your people this morning? And then Lord, I pray for those who aren't followers of Jesus. They saw an incredible testimony. If they were here, if they were able to see an incredible testimony of a man and the Spirit spoke and the Spirit worked and moved. And I pray that the Spirit works in those who aren't followers of Jesus and that they would understand this truth. Jesus has died for them, has been raised, and longs to bring them into relationship. 
just as Josh, that day in that pew, bowed his head and as best as he knew how, opened up his life to Christ. May a man, a woman, a boy or a girl right now where they're seated open up their life to you. So Lord, hear our prayer this morning.